Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. I hope you guys are doing well today. I am not going solo today, which is unusual. I don't think, I don't even remember the last time I had a guest on, but it is so good to tap into other people's expertise and discuss things that are out of my wheelhouse so that we can have a bigger toolbox for our kids with anxiety or OCD. And so I have invited uh, Christy Fisher and Kelly Winker, who are the hosts of the podcast, Mindful Conversations with K, which stands for Kidding Around Yoga. And in their podcast, they talk about using research-based tools and strategies to help increase mindfulness, self-awareness, connection, self-regulation, and peace in your home or classroom. And as yoga instructors, prior educators, and moms themselves, they're the perfect people to have on our show to help us build these skills with our children. So thank you for for coming and talking with us. I appreciate it. Thank Thank you for having having us. Yeah, before we jump in, I do have to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers uh, affordable, convenient, effective therapy available in the U.S. and outside of the U.S. And you can schedule a free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is the right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com. There is a link in the show notes. Okay, this is actually a really good topic because... I'm actually teaching some of this stuff in my self-care free series that's going on right now. It won't be going on once this goes live, but, and tomorrow I have a video coming out that is about mind body connection. And it is, it's interesting. Like, how do we convey that and build those skills for our kids, which to me is kind of complicated. So I wonder if you could just jump in, introduce yourselves, and then we can just dive right into what this is and how we help our kids with it. It's interesting that you say that too, um, Natasha, this like, what does it look like for kids kind of a thing? It's complicated with kids because I think that, you know, some people, we say this a lot about our yoga classes, you know, people have this vision in their head of what a yoga class looks like and, you know, they're downward dogs and their tree poses and all this, but it's really, it's sometimes it's hard to bridge the gap between adults and kids. So how do we present this to kids in a way that makes sense to them, that is age appropriate and all of those things. And that's, that's where we come in <laughs> to try and help out with that, uh, to bridge that gap. So I'll, I'll just, I'll introduce myself briefly and then I'll let Kelly uh, jump in and introduce herself. So my background is actually in exercise science and a good majority of my life in the fitness industry. And when I had my own children who are now teenagers, uh, I have a couple of boys, I decided to kind of shift my focus from adult fitness to kids fitness. So I started you know, leading boot camps for kids and nutrition classes for kids. And I was always kind of incorporating a little bit of yoga here and there. And then I had a stint teaching preschool for a while. And so I taught pre-K and incorporated a lot of yoga and mindfulness strategies into my classroom. And it was during that time that I was teaching that I got certified to teach yoga to children and came back and immediately started implementing these concepts into my classroom. And I saw the results. I saw the benefits. I watched what happened with when I was 
introducing some of these tools to kids and how they were able to use them. And, and uh, you know, we, we try and give a wide variety of tools within our trainings. So because we do understand that each kid is going to gravitate to something a little different. So you might have a child that needs a little bit more movement. You might need a child, have a child that is, is fine with, with more noise or one that needs less noise or whatever it is. So we try and incorporate a lot of different strategies. And so I did that into my own classroom. And then I just wanted to focus 100% of my efforts on kids yoga and mindfulness. So I ended up not going back into the classroom. And since then, in the past, I don't know, what, four or five years, Kelly? I don't, I don't even know now. <laughs> I've just done this around my community teaching uh, you know, after school yoga programs, teaching in the various, uh, the Montessori school. And then I, I do kind of a rotation through the elementary schools teaching. I'll spend a week teaching yoga in PE. So we kind of, so every kid in the school can kind of rotate through and have an introduction to it. So that's kind of been what I've been doing for the last few years. And I just, I just can't imagine doing anything else. I love it. Yeah, that's great. I wish they would do yoga in all the schools. I know when my kids in Montessori, they taught yoga and Mm -hmm. I love that. And then, you know, public school system and there's no yoga and that'd be a great thing in PE to offer. So agreed. hundred percent. Yes, for sure. That's one of Christy and my mission. We, we also do professional development workshops for teachers and how to, they can incorporate yoga and mindfulness just throughout the day. And they're within their curriculum for PE teachers and, and classroom teachers. So it's definitely, an, on, we're on a mission to, to try to get yoga into all schools, but yeah, I'll take a minute and introduce myself. I'm Kelly Winkler, and I am a mom of four. I am a former classroom teacher, and three out of my four children um, struggle with anxiety. And that's sort of the path where how I came to mindfulness and yoga when my oldest daughter, who is now almost 19, when she was 12, uh, she really struggled a lot. I mean, she had always been an anxious kid, but when she hit middle school, it sort of um, peaked and she, uh, you know, stopped going to school, basically um, couldn't make it through a full day of school without panic attacks. And, and long of that st- short story to that is that she was eventually diagnosed with both panic disorder and OCD. And uh, we were trying all the things and she was in therapy and her therapist said, let's try and get her into a kid's yoga class because she was really not open to the tools that we were trying to teach her, like breathing and and meditation and things like that. She just um, she was just struggling so much. She couldn't imagine that 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 stuff would work. And so we did um, find a teen yoga class for her and uh, she just fell in love with the practice. She actually fell in love with meditation. And she, she, I just saw like a, an, a change in her that she, she felt empowered. And of course, you know, her, her anxiety disorders are not going anywhere. This is something she's going to be dealing with her, her whole life. And, um, but now she has a big toolbox um, of tools that she can use in order to, when, when things get hard for her. And so I just saw how she took to it so much. And I was at the time teaching preschool. And so I was like, you know, seeing kids in my class that were struggling with separation anxiety and all of the things that preschoolers might be struggling with. And so I just started researching how, how do we get yoga to kids? Like I didn't, I never knew that was a thing. (laughs) And um, lo and behold, I found a kidding around yoga training that was like 20 minutes from my house. 
you know, a few months later, I signed up and I, I did the same thing that Christy did. I went back and I started implementing it in my classroom. I just fell in love with it. The kids loved it. I started working with my own, doing it with my own kids at home. At the time, my youngest was two years old. And so I started with her really, really young. And she's now almost, she's eight and a half now and also has, uh, has anxiety and, but she has, she has a toolbox way more full than my, my oldest had when she was that age, because we've been practicing these tools all along the way. And so, yeah, eventually I followed that same path as Christy. I left the classroom and went back. I got my 200 hour yoga teacher certification and, and just kept building from there and just have been following this path of getting these tools to as many families and schools as, as we can. I love that, you know, because I, I, I focus so much on, on this podcast and, you know, my online community on the cognitive behavioral part of things, you know, Mm -hmm. always with, you know, the exposures and challenges and reframing thinking and for anxiety, not OCD and all the other things that we do. And I know when I went through my own grief process, when I lost my husband, the thing that really anchored me besides the, the thought stuff that I do anyway, was surprisingly yoga and mindfulness, which not that I wasn't a fan of, but it just, it didn't resonate with my world and my life until it was actually my own saving grace. And it was the thing that like, I had to like walk and do like, you know, mindful walks. And I, the yoga, just my body physically needed to be stretched out because the grief was like physically hurting me. And I feel like there are these supplements that we can add to our toolbox with all the other stuff that I teach that can be huge because we want to offer our kids just this like poo-poo platter. I don't know if anyone knows what that is, you know, know? this array of, of choices because what might resonate with one of our kids may not with another or every child is uniquely different, but what I found is how to, how to teach our kids these things, because, which I know is really weird. Cause that's what I do. It's like, I teach kids, whatever I teach parents to teach their kids, but when it comes to something that's helpful for me, but it's not my thing, it's how to bridge that. So I wonder if we can break down mindfulness first and then yoga. We'll talk about the benefits of each one and, you know, and I can pipe in and then how we introduce that or create that as a habit in our kids' lives. Yeah. yeah. And just to piggyback off of what you were saying for a minute, because I have kids who, who have, and I, I, I appreciate your resources. I am, I am in your, I am in your, in your, your whole thing. I'm on, I use your resources all the time and it, they have helped me so much. You know, what you teach is, is so incredible and so valuable. And then the mindfulness piece, at least I know for my own kids, when they're doing the cognitive behavior therapy and all of that, um, sometimes it's sitting with that discomfort and it's that mindfulness piece that can help us to deal with that discomfort. Does that make sense? Yeah. You yeah. know, because I feel like for my daughter that that was a big piece of it and, and how she she found ways like, OK, this is this is really hard to not do my compulsion you know, what, what can I do in my body and mind to, to help me through this, this difficult time so that, you know, I don't keep that OCD loop going. And so, yeah, it's, I feel like it's could be so integral. And, yeah. into and, that and that's, as we, as we look at mindfulness, really the it's, it's 
it's it's a huge concept, but it's a very simple concept too. It's 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 the ability to be fully present, to be fully aware of what's going on in the moment, to recognize what's going on in your body, what sensations you're having, to be able to recognize emotions, all of these things, because it's real easy for the mind to veer off course and you ruminating about the past or you start worrying about something in the future. And as soon as you do that, you're not in the moment, you're not being mindful. So then it becomes very difficult to recognize sensations and to recognize what's going on inside. So mindfulness is that practice of being fully present and being fully aware in the moment without judgment. And that's the other piece too that, that's difficult is not, you know, placing some sort of a judgment on it like, oh, I shouldn't feel this way or oh, I, you know, this sort of thing. So so that's it's it's a practice. It's a, and it takes a lot of practice. <laughs> yeah. It it does seem like it is it is a daily practice. And I I do feel like that it does supplement and benefit the other things that we're doing with our kids with anxiety or C D because it's an anchor you know, and it really anchors you in the moment. And when anxiety and OCD rob us of the present, I mean, that is really what it does. It takes us away from what is, and it put up, it puts us into what was or what will be. Um, And same for as parents. I mean, this really resonates to me as a parent as well, is we live in the, the what was or what will be, and not in the what is. And a lot of times the what is, is more manageable than when you add to your plate, the what could have been and what will be, you know, that then the plate's really heavy. And so mindfulness can, can be a beautiful tool to, to train the brain to come back to center. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and thinking about, you know, sharing these practices with our children as parents, uh, it's important for us to have that practice as well, because especially it's challenging to watch your child struggle with, you know, with anything. Um, but when they're, you know, struggling with these big things like anxiety and OCD that can seem to sort of make their world, you know, so small and 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 feel so difficult. Uh, it's really hard as a parent to stay anchored ourselves, you know. But if we really think about us having these practices ourselves um, and anchoring ourselves, when our children become unsteady, it's much easier for us to help them anchor if we're if we're anchored as well. So you know, it really is important as to practice as a family, you know, mindfulness and, and and when we're teaching our children these tools for us to be modeling using using those tools too. I mean, not only do my children have anxiety, I also have anxiety. So, you know, it, it's been a life changer for me um, and, and being able to help my own anxiety so that I can then be steady, steady for my children. What you said is so true. Like we want to practice what we preach. We want to model for our kids. And and really drink that Kool-Aid because I wouldn't really be on my soapbox about this if I hadn't had to use it for my own lifeline and then said, oh my gosh, why am I not talking about this more? You know, I hear it all the time and it's like, yeah, yeah, that's great for some people. And then when it like, that's my number one lifeline, when I'm having a hard time, I'm thinking this is such a powerful tool. And I think as parents, if we can use the tools that our kids are using, then we can see firsthand and then we'll have a better understanding of how to share that with our kids. But I do struggle with that. And we'll talk about that in a second. So some of our kids with anxiety or CD will use distraction as a coping mechanism. And so what we're going to be talking about, I'm just talking to the audience now, you know, mindfulness and yoga can actually be almost in and of itself, a bit of an exposure because you're removing all those crutches. Now, not every kid is like this or adult, 
but some kids are go, 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 because I don't want to slow down. Cause if I slow down, then all my upsetting, anxious, intrusive thoughts are going to come. And, and mindfulness is a tool to teach you to in, allow that space, you know, and how do you develop those muscles to have them come in, come out and focus on the now at the same time. And yoga, I like the physical aspect of that too. I mean, and I'm not a physical person, but my body needed to do stuff. And so let's talk about how we introduce the concept of mindfulness to kids. How do we get that going? Yeah. And, and just to touch really quickly on yoga and just, we'll, we'll do a quick definition here because I think if, if people aren't familiar with yoga, a lot of people, when they hear the word yoga, they think of the physical piece of it, the physical postures, right? We're getting into tree pose and that is a piece. That's a, that's just one small piece of what yoga really is. Yoga is a science. It's a science of kind of creating more peace within yourself. It's figuring out who you are, right? So there's not just the physical postures, but there's breath work, there's meditation, there's, you know, essentially rules of living kind of a thing. So that's kind of yoga in a, in a nutshell. And so as far as introducing yoga and mindfulness to children, what we really emphasize is coming at it, meeting them where they are. Right. So so coming at it from a very playful place and we use games, we use stories, we use music to make it fun and playful because what we want is we want kids to like, oh, I really love yoga. This is really fun so that ultimately it can be a lifelong practice for them. They can continue to come back and say, oh, I really like yoga. Yeah, I'm going to keep going. And so they can start learning more and more. So we have we have a lot of different ways that we that we introduce not just the physical postures, not just, you know, breath work, but just kind of everything all um, all under one umbrella. So maybe we can start out by just explaining, you know, a few ways that that we approach the physical postures, right? And so when we're doing that with children, um, you know, in an adult yoga class, for anyone who has practiced yoga, right, you're going to get into a posture. And oftentimes, then you're going to hold that posture for a certain number of breaths, right? And and kind of the teacher's going to guide you into how you, you know, what what your stance should be and and all of that and your alignment and and everything like that. And that is not how we approach postures when we when we teach them to children. First of all, we are offering them the opportunity for lots of physical movement and then we are asking them to get into a posture and maybe hold for some stillness. So um, we want to teach them this uh, opposing feeling in their body of being able to maybe we're playing yoga freeze. And so we're we're jumping around and we're moving and we're dancing. And then we're asking them to freeze in star pose and where they're going to stretch their arms up really tall to the sky and then spread their legs out and reach their fingertips up. And then we're, we're going to maybe engage them in that pose by saying, what does it feel like? Can you make your arms feel like they're growing even longer and, and bringing their attention to their body? This is bringing them body awareness that oftentimes we, we even as adults, we don't have body awareness. Sometimes we don't even realize where we're holding tension and what sensations we feel in our body. So 
when we do this and we we have them freeze in a pose and then we're we're saying, oh, how does your, you know, how do your arms feel as they stretch up to the sky? Or when we have them bend down and touch their toes in what we call ragdoll pose and we let them swing their arms and what does that feel like? Or maybe we're going to get them into you know, downward dog, and we're going to pretend that we're walking the dog. And so we're going to bend our knees one at a time. And we can be taking our dog, where are we taking our dog on a walk, maybe we're going through the park. So we'll kind of engage them in a story, as we're getting them to hold the poses. So it's not making it seem like they are doing a yoga pose to get the benefit of the yoga pose like we would in an adult class, but they're having fun, they're engaged, and we're bringing that that attention to their body and those sensations that they might be feeling in a fun way. And they can, they can really kind of start to understand too, when they do a particular pose, let's say they're doing a balance pose, like tree pose or eagle or something like that. They, they begin to understand what sort of stress response, and that's a big word, but, but what sort of stress response they might have to that? Like, this is really hard. Like, okay, so are you breathing? Like, what are you, are you holding your breath? Are you scrunching your face? What is your body doing when you get in this stressful position for you? Like, if this is a really challenging position, what is it that you're doing to manage that stress? Can you maybe take a deep breath? Can you maybe, you know, kind of do something like this to, to sort of help you through this particular pose? And so then they can, then they can start bringing that off the mat, as we say, right? You know, so when they start transitioning into, you know, day-to-day life, they can start understanding their bodies. Yeah, I like that. And that's what really got me into it, although I haven't been doing yoga in a long time, but is the yin yoga, because to me, that was really very similar to anxiety and OCD and in my grief at the time too, like getting into a position and holding a position for a period of time and realizing I'm in a stressed position because the position didn't feel good and, or a metaphor for life, you know, there's a stressful position. And then how am I going to manage that? Do I give up? Am I going to lean into it? Am I holding my breath? You know, am I, what am I doing with my body? And so learning to breathe through that pain in a very physical way really helped me in life to realize like I'm holding my breath or, you know, I can get through this discomfort. I feel like the analogy of some of different types of yoga and beliefs can really help. As you guys are talking about this, I'm thinking from an exhausted mom perspective, <laughs> there's some, <laughs> some parents are going to hear this and they're going to be like very gung ho. Like, let me download some YouTube videos on like, listen to your podcast. And like, I can do this. And maybe I'm just really tired this morning. But then I think I want my kids to do more yoga or I want them to do mindfulness. And we'll talk about, you know, they can overlap, but we can talk about mindfulness as well. As far as just, I want them to have a mindset of mindfulness. And then I'm thinking, I can sell, who can teach my kids this, because, you know, is there, because when I looked, I did look for yoga studios for my kids when I got into it for a period of time. And there, there were very few that were offering anything for kids. Yeah. I mean, we have a lot of parents who come to our trainings, not necessarily because they want to become kids yoga teachers, but because they want to, they want to learn the practices to do it at home with their kids. So there's, there's always that option as, as a parent, if you want to engage your kids in these practices, of course you can, you can do that at home. And, and we do have, you know, YouTube videos and, and music and things like that, that we can um, guide, guide people to, um, to, to kind of check out and see what that looks like. And then, you know, uh, we, we have an, a, a big pool of teachers all over the world, actually. We are an international company. So um, you can always reach out to us as well. And then we might be able to pair you up with a teacher 
who is in your area and who maybe is doing classes. They might not necessarily be at a yoga studio, but maybe through a rec program, or maybe they have classes going at a local church where they're renting a room. And so we can kind of, you know, let you know where, where teachers are um, all, all over the world. Uh, we have a, we have a nice resource um, and directory that, that we can do that and hopefully, you know, get people into classes if they're, they're interested in that. But and we absolutely sounds- encourage parents to to practice at home too with with your kids. And I think too finding ways to incorporate it in in your day. And this is what we do, yeah. like with our professional developments. We don't want teachers to feel overwhelmed. Like, oh my gosh, this is one more thing I have to add into my schedule. So I think finding times to weave it into your day in a way that makes sense to you and with your family. And when you're thinking about like, how do I bring yoga in? Maybe try, you know, getting some, getting some games, getting some yoga, or just very simply getting a deck of yoga cards where you can pull a a pose card out and maybe people turns like everybody take turns drawing a card. Okay. What's your pose? Let's see what you did, you know, and then you can take turns leading that, or we have downloadable, you know, games in our shop, like yoga bingo or yoga matching. It's like a memory game. So weaving it into, maybe you have game night with your, I know we do at our house, we, we do game night periodically. So maybe finding ways to play yoga land, which is our version of candy land. You know what I mean? So just incorporating that into your day or finding little times to practice particular breathing techniques, maybe before you leave the house, everybody collectively does, you know, some, some deep breathing with the Hoberman sphere, or maybe on your way to, to the bus stop or to school, you're, uh, you're practicing some sort of a, a mindfulness technique, looking outside to see if they can find something that's the color red or, 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 or whatever it is. And, and that's our goal, you know, on, on the podcast that we host is that we're trying to figure out ways, you know, how can people weave this in to their day in a way that makes sense for them? And just little bite-sized pieces where you're not feeling like I got to put a video on and do a video for the next 30 minutes, right? That's not necessarily, you don't have to do that, right? Maybe you have two minutes. We can, we can find something for you to, to do, you know? Yeah. And I love incorporating into, to things like, you know, breath work right before, you, you know, as a family, you're about to do something that might be stressful. Yeah. It'd be really helpful. It's time we put help directly in our kids' hands. Introducing Crushing OCD Course for Kids and Teens. It was way more helpful than all the other therapy we've ever done because we didn't really know what to do, so we weren't really doing it before. So the course helped to figure out what the exposures are and how to do them. We're not in therapy and find it really hard um, to find an ERP trained therapist here. Um, So we're currently with like the public health service, but again, they don't seem to be trained in ERP. It's filled that gap that we don't have that was desperately needed. This was really well timed for us to use between therapists and to help us like start, get off to a good start with this new practice. It was easy to use. Um, I was able to do it from my phone or also on the computer. There's different ages, you know, so there were younger kids, there were teenagers. And um, so that was really nice too, to have a variety of ages where it wasn't just geared towards younger kids or older kids. It was a nice variety. It's helpful for our kids to hear it from this like third party as opposed to just us saying it. I really like the offense and defense method. I love working on poking at OCD while it's sleeping. It makes it a little bit easier to do and it's 
kind of fun. <laughs> I'm planning on using it to work on my uh, fear of like holding or touching batteries and stuff like that. So it was really helpful and I think a lot of other kids would like it. I thought that I was like the only one who had worrying about the weather and stuff. And then there was somebody else on there who worried about the same thing, which was really helpful. Seems less scary to work on stuff now that I've watched this class and I'm more interested to work on it. I like trying to do more exposures still and going to, before I wasn't, I just didn't want to do them. I've worked on some of my bigger compulsions and been successful. I realized that it was helpful to do like the exposures before it was like really, really hard. It's still hard, but it's helpful to know that I need to do them. Before there would be a lot of battles about it. So it is definitely less loggerheads. Really, really good course and super helpful. Definitely would recommend this. It's really easy to follow. It's in nice bite-sized videos. I really like the worksheets that go along with it, and I think it's really helpful. To learn more about this course and register your child or teen, go to atparentingsurvivalschool.com. Yeah, and, and I think, too, teaching our kids that, that they can do these practices, it's not just for yoga class, right? We're going to be practicing these, these things all throughout our day because we know that the more that we practice them in bit, little bite-sized pieces throughout our day, then we become it becomes more natural. So when we get into a stressful stressful situation, if we've been practicing breath work, we're we're more easily able to call that up, you know, kind of in our muscle memory, and we're more easily able to go to the taking those deep breaths. I mean, I see it with with my my youngest, who I said is almost um, his, she's eight and a half now, and I've been practicing with her since she was two. You know, she knows how to take deep breaths and. So, you know, just, just for instance, you know, this past weekend, she has, she's not diagnosed with social anxiety, but that's from what I, from what I see in my personal experience, I pretty much think that's what type of anxiety um, she has. And she had a birthday party to go to this weekend and that's stressful for her. She only knew two other girls that were going to be at the birthday party. And then she didn't know the other girls that were going to be there. And so beforehand, um, she had the stomach ache and, and she was very nervous about going. And, you know, as we're driving in the car, you know, I could hear her, you know, breathing in the back. And and she was like, you know, now a couple of years ago when, when she was really little and we were going to a birthday party, she would have been crying at this point saying she didn't want to go. And, you know, we've been working on this a lot. So she, she was doing some deep breathing in the back seat, And, and she said, you know, my, my stomach is hurting me, but, but I know, I know that it's my butterflies. And so she was really trying to, to breathe. And I was going to be staying at the party with her. So, so that was a little bit helpful as well. But even throughout the party, I, was watching her and I would see when she would start to feel a little bit overwhelmed or not know, not sure where to go. If, you know, she sort of found herself by herself and didn't know how to kind of that this party was not like a structured party. It was like, there was all different stations set up. They were doing coloring over here and they were doing singing over here. And it was like, there was something in each different room. And so I could see, you know, she, she'd get a little bit overwhelmed and, and she'd look to me and a few times she came over to me and she just asked me for a hug. And I felt her, you know, take a few deep breaths and I gave her a hug and then she kind of turned around and I could see her kind of scanning, like, okay, where, where feels comfortable for me to go, you know? And she was really aware 
of herself. And then she would say like, she, I would see her, then she'd go and she'd find somebody, you know, one of the girls that she knew, or maybe an activity that she wanted to do. You know, she likes art. So she was going to the coloring a lot, but that was like her safety zone. But, you know, she was really sort of using all of those tools the whole time from the car ride all the way through to kind of keep herself grounded the whole time. And so that's kind of our goal is we want them to be able to call up all of those tools. And so if we are practicing them throughout the day with them, just in our routine, let's brush our teeth. Oh, can you smell the mint toothpaste? And everybody takes a deep, deep breath and smell the mint, mint toothpaste before we we brush our teeth. You know, like Chrissy said, in, in the car ride, or maybe you walk to school. So maybe you're doing like a walking meditation as you're walking to school, bringing their attention to their feet or bringing their attention to the sounds that they, they hear. And it just becomes part of their practice and part of their daily routine. They just are more in tune with that present moment. Cause that's really, like we said, that's really the key, that awareness, you know, really being able to keep, keep coming back to that, to keep ourselves grounded. And, and we, we always encourage educators to have a space in your home or space in the classroom, call it a calm corner, call it a mindfulness, but whatever you want to call it, but having a place where kids can go, uh, and experiment with different things. So a couple of things I can think of that were in my own classroom as a teacher, we make these glitter jars and they're, they're kind of all over the internet now. I think a lot of people know what these are, but you know, it's a, it's a bottle and it's filled with water and maybe a little glue and some glitter and the kids can shake it up and watch the glitter swirl around. And then slowly it settles to the bottom of the jar. In my classroom, I had a rainbow of them, <laughs> every color of the rainbow. And the kids knew that if there was a time where they were feeling overwhelmed, they were feeling lots of big feelings, they could come to me and say, Miss Christy, I need a glitter jar. And then the, you could take it over to, you know, a corner of the room and you had to sit, you could shake it up, set it down in front of you and then practice taking some deep breaths or our meditation, which I'll talk about in a second here, but they, they practice until the glitter settles to the bottom of the jar. And if they need to shake it again and do it again, do it right. So they would kind of get kids that would come up like Miss Christy, I need a glitter jar. Okay, that's great. Take it. You know, and so they start to recognize that. So maybe you have something like a glitter jar, or maybe you have a deck of yoga cards so they can start going through and maybe turning up a particular card or draw a card and do a particular pose. So maybe they get to experiment with that. We talk about using like beads, meditation sticks where we string beads on a pipe cleaner and repeat a mantra, or we teach the kids a meditation where they tap. And I, you know, I know people are listening to this or not seeing it, but, but you tap your index finger to your thumb and then your middle finger and then your ring finger and then your pinky finger. And as you do that, you say the words peace begins with me. So, so they repeat that a couple of times out loud. They whisper it a couple of times and then they say it just in their head, but they keep tapping their fingers. And what we tell the kids is, peace begins with me. You can say that if you want to choose a different phrase, like I am very calm. I am so loved. Any forward phrase works for that. So they can try practicing that. I used to hair that with the glitter jar. So they'd shake the glitter jar, set it in front of them, and then they would do peace begins with me while the glitter was settling. And then at the end of that, they would feel better. So when you give them this space where they can go and experiment and they can go maybe do some mindful coloring, some mandala coloring, or they can play with the beads and the pipe cleaners, or they can shake a glitter jar, or they can practice some yoga poses. They have the opportunity to experiment and to figure out what works for them. So like what Kelly was saying, you can recall that then when you're in a, in a stressful moment. 
Yeah. I love that. I love having like just all those options. And I know for, for my kids and a lot of kids out there, if I tell them the mechanism behind it, then it tends to help them as well. And so, you know, understanding how this can help. And I know for me, and not to always continue to talk about myself, but I had panic attacks when I was like 18, 19, and it involved the fear of like not being able to breathe. And so taking deep breaths was actually a trigger for me. So it didn't work for me. And so I was never, you know, I was a cognitive behavioral therapist and it was never a go-to skill to teach because I wanted to attack the fuel line. You know, if you didn't have those thoughts, then, you know, the fuel line is cut off. And it's funny because then my daughter went to see a therapist and a couple of years later, I was asking her, like, what tools have been the most helpful? Maybe I was interviewing her on my podcast and she said, breathing. Well, <laughs> 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 I taught her, which I think that's just so funny. And so, and when she was, you know, when you're talking Kelly about your daughter, I mean, that was completely my daughter at eight going to a birthday party, nauseous in the car, afraid she's going to throw up social anxiety, fear of throw up emetophobia. And the thing that she would do that was not taught by me was, you know, breathe in the pizza, blow out the birthday candles. And she would just repeat that over and over again, which is a great visual too. And a great Mm -hmm. mindfulness because she's imagining, you know, she's in that moment. I guess that's not mindfulness, but she was visualizing and I had to explain to her and, and more importantly to my son, you know, that, that that's a reset of your nervous system, you know, that when you're doing that, that's really like taking care of your body, your body's in fight or flight. And you, that's like a reset button that you can press if you can learn how to breathe. And so I feel like sometimes explaining the mechanism of these things, even with mindfulness, I'll say, you know, when you learn how to be in the moment, you you're like, normally we're like 50% in the moment, if that, you know? And then we're 50% in what am I going to eat or what am I going to do? Or my shoe hurts or, and we're not able to fully really enjoy the moment or even be aware, like how much is your brain even capturing in this moment? Because you're not there. And wouldn't it be like a superpower if you could be like 99% there, like full capacity, your brain is completely there. What things taste better, what things see better, you know, like what love do you feel better? You know, it's like, it can be so intense. And so I don't know. I just feel like sometimes explaining the mechanism behind it can be helpful too. Yeah. And we do that. And we, and we, in our trainings too, we, we teach teachers all different ways that they can explain things to, to children. And one of the ways this made me think of it, how you were explaining it. One of the things we teach is called cuckoo head. And so we will have a big group of kids sitting in a circle and we say, we're going to tell each other what we've done from the time we got up this morning until right now, until we're till our class. And, but we're going to do that all at the same time. So I'm going to ring my bell and everybody's going to start talking and telling us what they've done for the day. And then when I ring my bell again, everybody's going to get quiet. And so we do that. And of course it's very loud and very um, overwhelming and nobody can hear what anybody else is saying because everybody's talking at the same time. And then we ring the bell and it gets quiet. And then we explain to them, that's kind of what it's like inside our head. We have all these thoughts going off all the time at the same time. And sometimes, you know, we don't even real, most of the time, we don't even realize how busy our brain is. And so we can use meditation to help quiet all of those thoughts and go down from many, many thoughts, just down to one thought, our mantra, or focusing on our breath, breathe in, breathe out. And so it's a, it's a great way to, you know, really show the kids how how noisy it can be inside of our brain. I, I use the glitter jar for that too. You know, I, I hate to keep coming back to that darn glitter jar, but I tell you, those things are magic. <laughs> but I, I'll have the kids look at it. And, you know, when I shake it up, 
there's so much. And I, I tell them, it's like every little speck of glitter in here is like one of the thoughts that's in your head right now. Can you concentrate? Can you see one speck? Can you focus on one speck? And so then you can re- relate that to the fact that sometimes we have all of these thoughts and all of these things happening. And so it is really difficult to focus on the things that are important when there's so many things swirling around. It was interesting. You, you, you said you talked about the you said superpower you know teaching it the teaching them that it's their superpower it reminds me of this story uh, i was in a teaching yoga and pe for a week and at the very end of the week there was an email that was shared by a parent and she sent this picture of her son and she says i want to tell you how impactful this week has been for my child she said my child had to go to the the dentist to get a, get uh, their teeth cleaned and she said, terrified of the dentist, but what you guys taught him during PE, the piece begins with me. She says, he, he used that in the dental chair. And she sent a picture of her son in this dental office. And he's sitting there and his, his, he's back in the chair and his little eyes are closed. He's holding up his hands and he's got his thumb and his index finger together. And you could tell he was doing peace begins with me. And she said, he felt so empowered because he knew that that was something he could use. And that's what I tell the kids when I'm there with them. I say, you know, listen, you always got this with you. You've always got your hands with you. So you, they can be in your pockets if you don't want anybody to see, or, you know, they can be behind under your desk or wherever it is that you want, but you can be doing that. And so it was very empowering for him. And she said, it was so cute. She said, he wanted to teach the hygienist um, how to do it because he felt like she should be able to teach other kids that are scared too. So um, that, I mean, that like, I mean, if there's not a moment where you go, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> like there's this, this is why I do what I do. So it was really, it was cool. And he felt like that was his superpower. That was, you know, he, he was empowered to be able to manage that. that, I anxiety. Love that. And it is, it does feel like a superpower because it's something that you have that um, can help you get through things. And I think finding a mantra that, ever, you know, that works for you can be really helpful. I know when my husband died, it was, you are here in this moment because I was so, I was catastrophizing everything, which is what a lot of our kids with anxiety or OCD do. And so I would just be like, you are here in this moment when I, whenever my brain would go into the hole, like, oh my gosh, how are you going to survive? Or, you know, you are here in this moment, you are sitting in this chair, you're eating this breakfast, you are. And so, you know, just that grounding and that mindfulness, which can be helpful. So finding whatever that is for you and your child, it is important for those of you that are listening with OCD, that any good tool can be turned into a compulsion. And so we want to just be cognizant of tapping or doing things or a mantra that you have to say that it's not done because I'm having an intrusive thought or feeling. And then I have to undo it by doing this behavior that can be done with, with any coping mechanism. So we just have to be aware of that. So I just want to throw that out there because OCD is like an opportunistic type of disorder where it will turn coping skills into compulsions. Um, Your story reminded me of something that happened recently. We were at Universal Studios for Thanksgiving and I got my, my kids were going to go on this mummy ride and my daughter was really anxious about it. And I do not like scary rides and I do not, I don't like roller coasters. I had vertigo, like I get nauseous, so many problems. And I asked the security guard, is this, you know, is this a really scary ride? And he was like, no, it's not that bad. And I said, is it a roller coaster? Cause it was indoor. You couldn't see anything. And he said, no, it's not. I really wanted to find him later and like kill him. <laughs> and he just been on that ride. And then I Googled it afterwards, like the scariest ride at Universal. Oh no. So we get in there and the moment it took off, it was pitch black. And I knew, oh my gosh, I just convinced her to go on this horrible, like you feel like your body's not going to survive it kind of ride, which is not my thing. And like instantly went to those coping mechanisms, you know, where I was 
saying out loud to her, which really became a mantra. I said, I call her boo. <laughs> and so I just kept, I was holding her hand. Cause I just, it was so much for me, like my whole nervous system. I'm a sensitive person. My whole nervous system went just like, oh my gosh, we're not going to survive. And so I could imagine what her little body was doing. And I just kept saying, you got this boo, you got this boo. And I was going to, you know, my zone and my breathing. And I started to focus on my breathing as my body is whipping around this crazy. It's, I don't know how people enjoy that. And, you know, they take pictures of you, you know, afterwards and you can go and look. And so we went to go look and I had gotten into a point where I was like, just completely relaxed because I was doing my breathing and I was focusing on my breathing, which again, this is a person who's very anti-breathing. They're going, mom, look at you. And my eyes are closed and I'm, I have the smile on my face. <laughs> I was like the most serene looking person. And they're all like their neck muscles are, you know, like popping out. And I just had this, like, my eyes are closed and I'm just the power the power of these skills and what it can do for you in any, you know, moment. I thought that kind of exemplified that. I love that story. I, and then something similar happened to, to us when we, when we were at Bush Gardens, I, I won't tell the story because it's very similar. I wasn't on the ride, but my husband took my son who was then eight. Now he's 13 and he does not like rides. And same thing. We asked somebody, what's a starter roller coaster? You know, he wants to go on a roller coaster, but he doesn't. And they told us to go and it was, wasn't good. <laughs> Custom. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, you can't trust those park people. <laughs> no. I mean, I guess someone's version of good is not someone else's. Yeah. That's that. And that's the thing, right? Everybody's, everybody's perspective is different. Yeah. Um, I was also thinking of another story. So my, my 13 year old son, he also has anxiety and he has health anxiety. So he, he has a, heightened sense of his body sensations. Mm -hmm. uh, so when he feels any kind of little sensation in his body, his, his thought catastrophizes and he, you know, he thinks if he feels any kind of tension in his chest, he's having a heart attack, or if he, you know, has a headache, it's never going to go away, right? He get, goes there immediately. And so, so for him, having a mindfulness practice has been really helpful. And it's sort of like, it be, becomes like we have to do the opposite. Like he, he's so focused on that one sensation. He's so in it that we have to pull his attention away from that sensation and either to something outside of his body. So sometimes we'll put music on or, you know, we will bring his attention to looking at his environment, um, but also bringing it to a different sense. So if he is experiencing, a, you know, tension in, in his body somewhere, you know, or if he's, you know, fallen, he's, he's a very athletic kid. So, so a lot of times this will happen, you know, on, on the sports field, because as he's getting older, it's getting a little bit more rough. And if he gets bumped or something, usually he pulls himself right out of the game uh, because he just is overwhelmed with that sensation. And so we've learned to keep mints everywhere and just him popping a mint in his mouth and really focusing on the taste of the mint is able to bring his attention away from the negative sensation or whatever he feels is hurt that's making him catastrophize. And then he just is able to focus. And then before he knows it, that sensation is gone and he, you know, he's able to move past it. I think if we think about other kind of mindfulness strategies, how, what, what are some other options for folks to use? I mean, cause again, everybody's going to gravitate to something a little bit different, something that, you know, some, my, my kids hate, hate mints. <laughs> so like for them, that wouldn't work. Right. But so I think bringing in your senses is so key. So sitting and focusing on, we, we do mindful listening with 
little tingsha symbols or little chimes. So having the kids, and I start every class this way, I have the kids listen to the sound of the symbols. And if they're comfortable with it, they can close their eyes. They don't have to if they don't want to, but or they can just gaze down, but listen for the symbols. And what I do is I have the kids put their thumbs up when they hear the sound of the symbols. But I tell them, listen, I want you to see how long you can hear that sound ringing for, because those tingshas, they'll they'll resonate for, you know, then they sit and listen to them and, and we ring it three times. And then when they cannot hear the sound anymore, they put their thumbs down. So just that practice of being there, focusing on just that one thing, just the sound of the symbols. Or I, I've done this with my boys before. We'd be out jumping on the trampoline or something. We'd say, okay, let's lay down on the trampoline and let's all see if we can hear five different sounds. And then we'll talk about which sounds. So then they just practice being there, being present, listening to what's going on around. So that's, that's, you know, you're hearing, but then you can practice mindfulness through, through eating. So, so taking a, whatever, an orange or something, and then you, you, you take it and very slowly, you, you just work your way through it. What does it smell like? What does it feel like? What's the texture? you know, how slowly can you eat it, you know, and this, this sort of thing. So you can practice it, practice mindful eating. You can, I mentioned being, you know, in the car and driving and then, you know, seeing if you can, how, how many things can you see that are, that are red or that are orange or what have you. And so then they're, they're looking, you know, for that one particular thing. So I think really using your senses to, uh, to anchor you to the present moment um, is, can be really, really helpful. Yeah, and those are a great array of examples that I think can be really helpful to to help them train their brain to come back and mm-hmm. be in the moment. And tell, I mean, again, my kids are pragmatic. Like, how does this apply to real life? Little kids, you know, you can do this and build it and it's just innately part of them. But when you have older kids, connecting the dots and saying, you know, being in the moment, like I'll, I'll point out to my son, I feel like kids today sound like I'm 80 kids today, but like they're multitasking, they've got their iPad up, they've got their phone on, they're listening to music, you know, they're petting the dog, they're doing their homework with all like they're an octopus. And you're like, how and I will say this to my son who really feels it's almost like his brain has to be doing many, many things at once. And for my daughter, it's definitely an OCD avoidance thing. She doesn't want to deal with her thoughts. And um, for him, I feel like his brain's just going a mile a minute. And it wants a lot of input. And I'll talk to him about how, you know, you're not really strengthening your brain. It's like going in so many different, can you shut these things down and sit with just that quiet of one thing where you're giving your 99, I mean, I always say 99% because it's never a hundred, but giving that focus to that one thing. And I love those approaches of let's practice by, you know, having a mindful meal or having this mindful snack, or um, I like the sounds for me. And I think this just speaks to how every kid is different. You know, quiet meditation just doesn't work. My brain doesn't like it. It's an invitation to to bother me, which is a, a practice to work on. But for our kids, a lot of our kids have, you know, very busy minds. And so even going on a meditative walk, and I went with my son for a walk and his brain would go, you know, like, what are we going to do after the walk? What are we, you know, and I was like, the purpose, we're having a purposeful, mindful walk. We're like, we're practicing building our skills. Can you hear the gravel under your feet? You know, can you hear the birds? Like, let's, if you really, I didn't never knew what a hummingbird was until I started going on these walks and I could hear that high pitched sound. And so I said, listen for the hummingbirds, because if you hear them, like it's a high pitch vibrational sound, and then we can try to spot them in the trees, you know, and we're training, but I have to explain to him, we're training your brain. Like it's like building a muscle. And so I think for those scientific minded kids who want to know the the practical purpose of it can really get into that as well. 
And, and, you know, yeah. you talked about being still having that being a difficult thing and, and that, you know, given the, that gives your mind the opportunity to kind of start racing and ruminating. That's why in, in yoga classes in, in, in the asana practice, the physical part of yoga salutations, it can be very meditative. So for somebody who doesn't necessarily like to meditate by sitting still, you can meditate by, by moving. Right. So a sun salutation, you breathe in, you reach up, you exhale, you forward fold, you breathe in, you lift halfway, you exhale. You, so you can go through this and it becomes this really nice kind of a um, rhythmic sort of a connection between your body and your breath. And that can be very calming, very soothing, very meditative. Yeah. yeah. And I also think guided meditations are another really powerful tool. And, and in our classes, we we take the kids through something called a peaceful garden. And so we will first get them to relax their body by doing some tensing and releasing, which is really helpful. That's a mindfulness practice, bringing our attention to different body parts, tensing those muscles and then relaxing. And then we we take them on a journey um, and all, all different kinds of journeys. But, you know, we, we really tap into them using their visualization and their imagination. And, you know, maybe they're taking a walk in the woods and they they come up to this this the biggest tree they've ever seen. And when they walk around the other side, they notice there's a door in the trunk, right? They open up the door, they go inside and what's inside that tree. What colors are there for you? What maybe there's a snack waiting. What can you smell it? What does it taste like? And we sort of are bringing their attention to all their different senses, getting them to imagine what that feels like. And then after we lead them through this practice, we remind them that Whenever they get to a stressful situation, they can come back here and visit this magical tree whenever they want, whenever they need to feel calm, whenever they feel overwhelmed and they they want some quiet, they can go back and, and visit that time, that place anytime they want. So instead of bringing them to a quiet meditation where you're right, the thoughts are going to pop up and um, it gives that time for 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 all those anxious thoughts to come we take them on this journey where they're really tuned in to, to the visualization. Yeah. I love that. And that could be used, you know, when they're feeling overwhelmed or when they're having a hard time going to bed, so many different ways they can use that. So let's talk about where people can access your resources and I will leave links in the show notes as well. Where can people find you guys? Our podcast is called Mindful Conversations with Kay. We, we try and go over all sorts of different tips and tricks and strategies for uh, for various uh, things. So, you know, you can certainly listen to our uh, podcast there. We both uh, work for Kidding Around Yoga. So kiddingaroundyoga.com. You can go and find all sorts of resources about some of the trainings that we offer. We, we, we have you know, smaller sort of mini workshops and we have certification programs. We have professional development workshops for educators. And so kiddingaroundyoga.com can give you uh, all the information there. There's also the shop that I mentioned where you can get, if you want some of these, a yoga bingo game or or uh, some 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 scripts where you can actually do something that what Kelly was talking about, the, the guided imagery, we, we call it the peaceful garden. And so we've got a whole ebook full of, of uh, different peaceful garden scripts. So you can uh, certainly find some of that information there. Uh, what am I missing, Cal? Am I missing any other? Yeah, places? and we actually have a free mini little workshop that's called Relaxation and Meditation for Kids that gives you a little introduction on how to bring these practices um, to children and how to introduce meditation and and gives some some examples and some things you can do with your children. Um, and that and that's a free course that we offer. Oh, I right love that. Website. So is that all on the website? 
Yeah, all on the website. And you could also find us on Facebook at Kidding Around Yoga or Instagram at Kidding Around Yoga. Okay, perfect. Well, I will leave links in the show notes and definitely check that out for myself as well because I need to do a better job at making this more concrete with my kids. So thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for for having us. Well, I hope everyone found that really informative and kind of gives you like a a boost into that direction of how to build our kids tools in in a multifaceted way. And I'll leave links for you guys to check that out. And I hope that you find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 